0: Uh, so then the first thing I'd like for us to do is review the homework from our last meeting. So just to kind of go through it in order, uh, at least how I emailed it out, uh, the order. Uh, how was your experience reading Psalm 19? Tell me a little bit about that. Well,
1: that's about the fool said, his, said there's no God. It's 19, isn't it?
0: Um,
2: like God's attributes. And yeah, it's the. Uh, I, um,
1: I read the, um, the biblical one, what on. Um, well, what was the one by R.C. Sproul you wanted us to read? Oh,
2: we're back on the,
1: the Bible. <laughs> and it was the one you had. I read the one on perspicuity.
0: Um, oh, you're, ta- you're talking about the essays? Yeah. All right. We'll get to the essays but one of the other things was reading psalm 19. cheryl you had some things to say about reading that
2: well it was kind of awesome that art was the first one to discuss psalm 19. oh that's right i <laughs> forgot he book. did 19.
0: i forgot yes. yeah so it's yeah.
2: like taking some insight from what he said and yeah. i'm, I'm a, a writer in, okay. in my bible mm-hmm. but um Just looking at it from the description of God and what he did compared to the relationship that's further down Mm -hmm. like I kept in the ESV I kept looking at he has set a tent I'm like what does a tent have anything to do with Mm that but then when I read in the New Living it just was so much (laughs) easier to understand um flip back
0: here. What verse is that?
2: Uh 4. 4. It, God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. Okay. Compared to a tent cuz yeah. I, I kept picturing this tent. I couldn't get that thought out of my mind.
0: Okay. Okay.
2: It just I just understood it a whole lot better, mm-hmm. the whole thing with the new living. Mm-hmm. What well, it means
1: is he put the sun and gave it a place to be.
0: Right. Yeah, and, and probably even a temporary place to be.
1: But, yeah, it could well be. But anyway, he gave it a place to be. That's all, that's all it means. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, you got to remember, this stuff is in poetry form. Mm-hmm. What they chant that stuff, the Jews when they they put it to a "A and the Lord will there and He will help His people Mm -hmm. like that, Mm -hmm. which to us is kind of foreign, Mm -hmm.
0: but
2: But still just the words trying to get the most meaning out of it. Sure, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I understood the top was discussing you know everything that God had done and what you know His handiwork. Um, and then seven through nine, talking about um, his instruction and direction and teaching, um, the different appointing, mm-hmm. showing reverence and respect. Um, and I hadn't looked at it the uh, in verse nine, the rules of the Lord. Mm-hmm. I hadn't looked at it as the judgments. Yeah, the judgments of the Lord. Sure am I yeah. That was one thing that art. Pointed out. Just
0: decrees, there's a footnote. In
1: mine, mine on that part from about 7b through 11, I made a note that's how a mature Christian sees it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas the first part, 7a, is salvation. Someone comes to the Lord, they realize that it converts the soul, the law the law, law of the Lord converts the soul. That kind of, to me, meant spoke of someone coming to Christ and seeing the Scripture is good, mm-hmm. and then from seven B on through eleven, then the Christian matures and starts seeing the value of all Scripture, not just John three sixteen, sure. but beyond that. Mm-hmm. So I have seven A, salvation, and then Christian maturity seven B through eleven, in my Bible. Okay, and that would be my outline. On yeah. that Part. Yeah. That would be my, how I would, if I was to preach on it, that's how I would break it down.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I think you could make that case. Yeah. So any any particular uh, insight? Um, well, i got more. Sure. That and, then, you and, then,
1: and then that mature Christian, but he's matured now, so as a result, he starts looking inward. In verse 12, he realizes that you can make errors that you didn't know about. Mm. You know, we, we, we dumb up when we don't think we're being dumb. Mm-hmm. And then that's why he says, cleanse me from secret faults. So first, the person got saved, verse 7a, then grew in the Lord, 7b through 11. Mm-hmm. Then, because his heart was changed, so now he's wanting to follow where God says, you be holy because i'm holy mm-hmm. which is what in peter right be ye holy as he said for i'm holy. Yeah,
0: quoting leviticus yeah. yeah quoting
1: leviticus um and he realizes that and he does this because he realizes presumptuous sins let them not have dominion over me he realizes that if he doesn't get a hold on some of his uh faults that he doesn't even know that they'll have dominion that you know a little a little leaven leaven's the whole lump
2: right right all right
1: and then he says when i do that when i can get to that point then i will have some blamelessness and i'll be innocent of great transgression mm-hmm. and then he realizes in verse 14 what a lot of that involves the words of our mouth and what we think the meditation of our heart mm-hmm. so that to me would say in verse 14 um, that's how or a major way that he's going to achieve what he wants to in verse 12 and 13 by the word watching the words of his mouth mm. and what he thinks about. And that's how I break that down.
0: Yeah, and letting 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 the word of God like direct uh, his thoughts yeah. maybe even like a Romans 12 yeah. one sort of understanding. Yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. That,
1: that's how I would break that down. Yeah. I don't know um, maybe verses one through six the wonder of God mm-hmm. someone you know he, he an atheist starts looking around and being honest and says, you know wow, you know I don't understand and how the universe could come about by itself and i I don't I don't believe that the big Bang could have really happened yeah uh, and evolution has a lot of holes in it um, and I don't. Everything is something else, and and God must have done that. Mm -hmm. So he he comes to God, then he gets saved in verse 7a, and then he grows, and then he realizes that he could have still things that he doesn't even know about. So he, he wants to understand to grow even more and become more holy, and he realizes that the way to do that is primarily by watching your mouth and your thoughts. And then he wants them acceptable in God's sight, mm-hmm. and then he also realizes he says that God's my strength and His redeemer, mm. and that's how I would break that down. Yeah, that's how I would preach that song.
0: Yeah, one through six. I mean, I would call it general revelation.
1: General revelation. So lead Seven. him, lead him to God, and yeah. then he. And I mean, I have to. You know, you have to. Back then, Christ was only something that was in Isaiah 53 and so forth that the prophets long to look into, right? But couldn't angels long to look at, but they couldn't, yeah. So, but we would have to put it in our context
0: today, sure, sure. Yeah, so general revelation to special revelation That's 7 cool. to 11, and then I think even 12. like, yeah, 12 to 14, how special revelation affects my life, basically. Yeah, you yeah. could do that,
1: what, what it should do, yeah, and then and then again on to. What's this from glory to glory? Christian growth, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Epistle somewhere. We go from glory to glory. Yeah,
0: one one degree of glory to another.
1: Yeah, it's something Paul wrote. Yeah, it's it's definitely
0: Paul. (laughs) How he's going from being
1: saved to dealing with obvious sins and then becoming more holy and then realizing the way to do that is probably watching his mouth and his thoughts. Mm Mm-hmm. And he won't get them acceptable in the Lord's sight. And then he realizes the Lord is his strength and his redeemer. Mm-hmm. His strength to do so and his <coughs> redeemer uh, as a savior. Yeah. That's how I break that down.
0: So has reading Psalm 19 changed your life in any way? Changed your reading habits? Why no, I went like through that?
1: this before. Yeah. These notes I made on there, I read that a while ago. Yeah, yeah. To be honest with you. you mm-hmm. See, I've got notes here. Mm-hmm. I did that months ago yeah. before this class. I, I, I have a reading schedule. schedule, yeah, My schedule. Getting British now. Schedule uh, that I downloaded for mm-hmm. free. And mm-hmm. I think it had Psalm 19, and I read it. Yeah. And I went through and I made some notes. I thought, well, now if someone said, All right, Glenn, you're going to preach this Psalm next Sunday, how would I do it?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I started thinking. And started going by paragraphs how I would divide it. Yeah. Which is right because (laughs) when Paul told Timothy, rightly dividing, that is a good translation because the Greek word means to cut accurately. Yeah. It's something they would refer to that a surgeon would do. Yeah. Back and then as accurately as they could cut.
0: Cheryl, any life change, habit change, come from
2: After, I mean, like, every day, if not a couple times a day, I kept reading this. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I read it out loud. There you go. I have a whole different yeah. connotation that really? went through my head. It's like I heard it differently. Yeah. And um, I still see Brianna. What about Brianna? She just made a funny gesture in Sunday school yeah. class.
0: We we don't read in the morning in the same room because I read too loudly. Ah.
2: I, I, I,
1: I just read silently and yeah. then I look at it. Yeah. and I start thinking like I just. Told yeah, you.
0: I I was I encouraged people what was that Sun two Sundays ago to read it out loud because I do I think it changes and I mean especially if you're an auditory learner you're going to you're going to hear it differently.
2: Well. I got more out of it. True. By reading it out loud. Process it differently. Sometimes
1: yeah. I'll I'll put the I have the ESV online mm-hmm. and if you put it on constant scroll mm-hmm. it just keeps normally going. Normally it keeps going. Sometimes it'll stop and yeah. but normally and sometimes when I'm stretching or something, I'll just put a part on mm-hmm. and as it's going through, it'll say something. And because I'm not looking at it, I can't really spend a lot of time on it. I'll say, you know, what does that mean? How does that fit in? Then I'll go back, make a note, go back and look at that and try and figure that out and put it in your own words.
0: Yeah. Uh, So then anything with the Chicago Statement? Learn anything interesting from the podcast? The the Uh, Chicago
1: Statement was on inerrancy, right? mm -hmm. Yeah, I read that. With R.C. Sproul, that That's was right. from Chicago. You know, I—I don't know. I had been through that before. I, it was good. I, I won't argue that. I read yeah. mostly the part that you said was pertinent. Yeah. I, I agreed with it before I even read it. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest
0: with you.
2: Yeah. See, not knowing what inerrancy was,
0: uh-huh.
2: I had to I had read, read all yeah. of this, and it was so cool that they had that many men in one room. Yeah, was it was 200, Everyone, 268. Yeah. Everyone agreed on it and just learning yeah what it is and then the um statement that they made. Yeah, the um there's the authority the f- of scripture.
0: Yeah, the, there's five theological points and then right. 19 affirmations and denials. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. I read the one part that you said that was most part Yeah. So mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it didn't change my views, I
0: agreed with it. That's good. So you would affirm the statement, would you affirm the statement? Oh, yeah. oh absolutely. As would absolutely. I, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a very clear and as near to exhaustive as you can be yeah. on...
1: And, and, and it's a divider. Yeah. It's a divider. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I don't know, if I was running a church and I was looking for a pastor or an elder, I'd say, You need we're gonna print that out yeah. and you need to sign it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I if you would was... agree with it,
0: yeah.
1: You need to sign that. Right. If you don't sign it, well then you need to go down to the Episcopalian <laughs> or the United Methodist and you need to ask them for a job. You won't have any trouble with this with this document there.
0: Yeah. It won't have it. Cheryl, what were you going to say? Uh,
2: yeah, I was... Um, where he, he was saying about how others would look at, at the doctrine from the bottom up. Yeah,
0: yeah. See, yeah.
2: And so the top down is basically, it starts with God. Right, yeah. And yeah. There's no argument about that. Yeah. And then God's word is right. infallible.
0: Yeah, if if God is who he says he is and if his word is what he says it is, mm-hmm. then there's no argument as to is this inerrant or not. Mm-hmm. It is, and you know, we have to have to accept that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then the essays, uh which ones did you read? Which one did you read?
1: I read the one by Mark on inerrant on uh Mark
0: Strauss. Period.
1: No, it was another
0: guy. Mark, Mark Thompson? From, clarity? Yeah. Okay. Clarity
1: of Scripture. Mm-hmm. First I read that. Mm-hmm. And then I made my own... Uh, that's what I thought you wanted us to do. I made my own teaching outline
0: on it. Oh. Well, maybe not, not tonight. Yes, I wasn't but sure. But at some point. Okay. Well, then that okay, was I my fault. I like, wasn't clear. Double
2: underlined things. Yeah. In. So, I'll see.
1: Yeah?
0: Yeah? Okay. My
1: point. How I would how I would teach it. How
0: you would explain perspicuity. Perspicuity
1: yeah. and then going through and using biblical examples.
0: Okay. Well that's good. I mean maybe that could be the the first part of the lab that we will eventually get to. Um but yeah, I I I had just sent those out for your edification. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I went yeah, through it. Yeah. I,
1: Made a choice. I said, Yeah. Because yep. I'd already done something mm-hmm. on the perspicuity of scripture yeah. and already had it on my computer to start with. And then I went back over and said, You know, I can improve this. And I read his article. Yeah. And most of it I agreed with, though I got some of mine from Wayne Grudem's mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: essay on it. Uh, okay.
1: With Mr. Grudem. Yeah. And some of my own. And put them together and, and went from how, if someone said, give me five or ten minutes yep. on what we mean by perspicuity mm-hmm. and how the Bible teaches it, give me a, a, a lesson on that. That's what I did here. Okay,
0: okay. Good. And Cheryl, which one did you read?
2: Necessity of Scripture.
0: Um,
2: I I printed out three different ones because it's like yeah. scripture as the divine revelation. Yeah.
0: And I mean, you weren't going to go wrong with any of them. <laughs> and apply
2: And it's like, which one do I. And yeah. I kept reading over them, and it's
0: like. Yeah. Yeah, those essays are possibly one of the best things about TGC website.
1: Yeah, I looked at that.
0: Yeah, and they have, they have 20, 30 topics with, I mean,. However, many I I I selected what ten under the topic Bible. So if I mean if there's if there's a a question that you have that you're like okay I want to I want to dive into this a little bit deeper, that's a good place to go even to look and see because I mean these are these are today's like leading theologians leading scholars um, writing in their area of specialty about these different topics in short form. I mean, they're what, 2,000, 3,000 words? Two or three pages. Yeah. So not yeah. even 2,000 words, probably.
1: I think Mark's was, I think, three pages. Yeah. Wayne Grudem's was longer. I read that. I don't remember where I found it. But yeah. I found it, and it was longer. Yeah. And, and it surprised me that I never thought of some of those things. Because he said, even his peers were saying, you know, Wayne, you just can't say that. You have to, you have to go and see what everyone else says mm-hmm. before. Well, that's not a bad idea, but we have to. Yeah. Do we really have to? Do we have to look at all? I mean, I do, but I don't look at it from the point that I have to. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good idea.
0: Yeah. A lot of people will charge Grudem with being a biblicist. So, like, he and it, it's it sounds weird saying this. Mm. I understand, but he he only relies on the Bible to make his point, which is not wrong. But I think a lot of people want him to look at what people throughout the history of the church has said, have said to be able to say this is what the church has believed because of what the Bible says, and he he just seems to be very. Um, yeah,
1: but you know. I, I, I used to argue with a guy online. He had a PhD in church history. And he was all over He didn't know what he believed. He, he went to Westminster Seminary and then ended up in some United Methodist church. He didn't know what he believed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And to him, the Bible was true because the church fathers said it was true
0: mm-hmm. and, so that's basically Catholic then.
1: and, and that, that's you know and, and he was going on the, the good ones you know um, most of the ones we would agree with
0: mm-hmm.
1: to me, I took the opposite approach. I said what the church fathers said may or may not be true, it's true if they say what the Bible says yeah, yeah. and that was mine and we used to argue and I'm telling you I used to get them. I I used to get him where he just could not come back with anything. But you're wrong, and that's not the historic understanding of it. Mm-hmm. And then I even showed him where um, uh, Augustine, before he died, accepted the idea that man couldn't come to God except by the Spirit. A, a, um, monogism. Yeah. That Augustine, in the end, before he died accepted or, or believed what we would say monogism. Right. And and he didn't have an answer, boy. He kept saying, no, 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 no monogism. Synergism, because that's what Augustine taught. And you calvinist and your sinner and your monogism, it's too new to be true. And I went and looked online and it took me thirty minutes to find a book written by some guy named Ken Something or other. Mm-hmm. And he didn't like the idea that he said that um, Augustine went Calvinist before he died because he accepted the main point of Calvinism, which it all hinges on.
0: which is anachronistic because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Augustine was what uh, 1200 years before Calvin.
1: Well yeah, but I mean he said he, yeah, he accepted yeah. the, the same premise. yeah yeah and, and he did and,
0: I, I think Calvin stole it from Augustine.
1: yeah and, and I, I shot that back at this yeah. PhD and he never got back he didn't come back on that one i said wait a minute now
0: yeah Yeah.
1: i said, is it really that concept the basis of calvinism is it really that new Mm -hmm. because i said look augustine had the same new testament that we did Mm -hmm. he had the same books that we did just you know different translations but he had the same (coughs) same teaching i said why would he not have gotten that idea? Mm-hmm. And then when I put fired that at him and gave him the reference to the book,
0: yeah,
1: he had no comeback. Yeah, that was the end of his argument with me.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we are we're veering here, but <laughs> but it's fun. it is interesting stuff. Cheryl, anything else on necessity of Scripture? Because that's an important topic.
2: And that's what I I truly felt. Yeah. Um, that's. That's what everyone needs to be. Yeah. But even, I mean, you referenced it when we were discussing the song, mm-hmm. but I had never heard of the divine revelation, the special revelation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that really was new to me yeah. and helped me to look at things differently. It's good. It's good.
0: Um, yeah. And Feinberg is, he's he's pretty good. and. Helpful in a lot of what he writes. Um, which other ones did you print off? Applying scripture
2: which and scripture is divine revelation.
0: I don't know Dan Doriani. Scripture is divine revelation. Yeah, Doriani and Matthew Barrett. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah.
2: Um, I mean, I didn't focus on those ones. I focused those are the three I was going back and forth through and it's like no I need to learn
0: for sure most out of applying yep Barrett teaches at Midwestern in Kansas City Missouri he's kind of all the rage right now Um, he did his PhD at Southern under Bruce Ware we had lunch (laughs) with Bruce he's He's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, but neither here nor there. So we're talking about study methods tonight. Um, so I, I, I think I laid laid out the case last time for why I'm starting where I'm starting, um, and looking at how to how to read scripture, how to study scripture first before we get into any sort of teaching of scripture Mm -hmm. because you can't teach what you don't know Mm -hmm. um and so um what i want to talk about tonight is i think one of the best and and best because it's it's simple um best methods to study scripture uh and it's a three-step process there there are probably others who would Add steps or sub steps or something like that, uh, but it's simply interpretation, observation, application, and we're going to look at those tonight. It's called the inductive Bible study method, um, and I mean, I'll just I'll I mean, I'll I'll level with you. It's not rocket science, right? So so all you're doing is um, <laughs> I think I think I think it's Piper who says you just stare at the text. Mm-hmm. Okay, you just you just have to look at it. And be so familiar with it, so saturated with it, that uh, you start, start to see all of its parts and how those parts come together into um, the whole of what it's teaching. Uh, so I'm doing this because my desire is for us here at Big Woods to be Bible-saturated. I want us to be a Bible-saturated people that we would read the bible know the god of the bible and live how he has called us to live
1: so first is just to look at it
0: just look at it and that's i mean that's probably a figure of speech where i mean you're you're staring at what the words say you're letting it just kind of i don't know be in your mind Kind of okay, just the. Just
2: like he said, ask us to read Psalm 19. Psalm 19, yeah. We, I mean, you're, you have some education, whereas I don't. To just start and look at the words, read through yeah. it, keep reading through it. It's not that I'm going to read through it and analyze it the first time.
0: Right. Oh,
2: I start asking myself questions.
0: Yep. What
1: does that mean? Mm-hmm. What, and I'll, I'll ask myself, too. I, you, know, you, you need to keep your enemies closer, so I'll ask. What problem would an atheist have with that? Yeah. And the reason I ask that is, uh, I want to know why they're going to how they would cut that down, and I'm already trying to develop my defense against them. Sure. So I know what I believe. Yeah. And, and I don't know. Then and the big one I ask is how does it fit in the rest of the Bible? Yeah. Is is there some other part that goes along with that? Is there some mm-hmm, other part mm-hmm. that can explain that? Yeah that to me is is critical yeah does that line up or again especially look if it's down and if your bible lists it in funny type that means it may it may well be quoted in the new testament how is it used there yeah and that 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 to me i don't know i mean i read it and i immediately start questioning it right
0: right so that and that's part of this process so, interpretation, which is the first thing we're going to look at, yeah. I, I explain that as interpreting the text. So, if if we're going to be Bible people, if we're going to be Bible-saturated, be Bereans, we need to study the Scriptures and, and live according uh, to the Word of God. So, in the inductive Bible study method, we have the three steps. I've already mentioned them, but just for reiterations sake it's observation interpretation application and I do think it has to go in that order I don't think it's healthy to start with application I don't think it's healthy to start with interpretation because you you must understand the text and, and what you're saying Glenn you have to understand it in its context and you have to understand it in the context of the whole the whole Scripture, scripture yeah. before you can start a- asking and answering the question, what does this mean? Yeah. You have to understand what does it say before you can come to any conclusions about what it means and before you can come to any conclusions about what this means for my life. So I think that order is very important. So So basically, if we were to reiterate and change the words, observation, interpretation, application, we would say, what does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean for my life? And so the process of, of answering the question, what does it say, starts with reading the text, reading it, reading it, reading it, and noticing things about the text. So with the inductive approach, you explore the Bible and arrive at conclusions only once you've compiled all the evidence so i'd like for us to go through this process and i want to define more specifically each one of these and then give time for us to observe things together uh, and interpret and uh, apply in our remaining time Um, but the goal of observation is to interrogate the text and so only once we have observed from the text do we move on to interpreting the text? And so this, this, this is founded upon uh, something that you may have come across in some of the articles. Uh, there's probably even an article specifically on this, but the meaning of the text lies with the author of the text. And, and even as we talked last time, we have to consider the human author and the divine author. And so uh, I like to say it this way the text cannot mean for us something that it did not mean for the original audience. So the meaning of the text is going to be the same, but how we apply that meaning is going to be different in our context and in our culture. And, and, and even, even. Right. And so, so even for the three of us sitting here in this room, we're going to hopefully come to the same conclusion about what this text means, but it's going to affect us differently. Mm -hmm. And and so if we're reading, I don't know, Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul that has a meaning. uh, But how that changes our lives is going to be different for each one of us. Uh, I'm convinced in line with this this questioning of what does the text say that one of the most harmful questions that we can ask of scripture and um, one of the most harmful questions we can ask in the study of scripture is what does it mean to me because if we become so focused on yeah. my individual meaning or you know, this text means something to me that it doesn't mean something to you. We step outside of the realm of the, the authorial intent.
1: Now, is this part of A, just look at it, or are we going to interpretation?
0: We're still in observation, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, So the question as we move from observation to interpretation is, what does it mean? Because finding the meaning... Uh, so that we can apply it to our lives is the goal of inductive Bible study. And this is a method that works for anything from personal study of scripture to preparing to lead a Bible study or preach a sermon. So no matter what passage you're studying, the process is the same. You observe from the text, you interpret the text, and then you apply the text. So some tools for observation. How can we go about this process? Well, you can look at different translations. Um, Using different translations will help you understand the text better. Um, The the way Scripture is translated, if we look at it as a spectrum, we've got word for word and thought for thought. So so word for word, we're moving over to, to like the New American Standard, NASB, um, ESV, uh, New King James. New King James. King James is moving a little bit more to this way. It's not. It's not in the middle by any means. But some of some of the ones in the middle, we might say like um,
1: NIV.
0: Uh, depending on which year, the NIV 84. Which I have. Yeah, All is. I had, yeah, is. I got rid of it. Ah, uh, the 84 is one of the. It is the best I NIV. Lost well, the '84 was good, but when they came to like the 2011, I don't,
1: I don't trust them. Yeah. I don't, I don't argue with you that they're talented translators and yeah. that they know a lot more Greek than I ever will. I won't yeah. argue that. Yeah. The problem is they believe a lot more critical scholars than I do. That's exactly their problem.
0: In, in the '84, that was not. As much the case as it is in the two thousand eleven, yeah, like, even the TNIV, like, like those sort of usurp things.
1: Usurp authority versus have authority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm Going
0: gender neutral good. in in some of those. Yeah, I I I don't trust them. Yeah.
1: And, and now most people would say, "Well, Glenn, you're too narrow." <laughs> well, we can argue about that, and yeah. you probably lose. I don't like Living Bible. I I don't like the NIV. My favorite is the New King James, and there's a couple of very good reasons for that. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: One of them is that this this version of it, a Scofield one, it'll bolster your confidence in the scripture because it lists most of the variants and what they mean. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I'm telling you, a good 90 plus percent of them, it says the same thing in a different way. Yeah it doesn't change doesn't change right now the, the Jewish people wouldn't like me because it does the same in the Old Testament sure compared to the Syriac mm-hmm. the Septuagint mm-hmm. uh, Latin Vulgate and I'm here to tell you I look at those differences and those differences at probably half of them make a difference
0: mm-hmm.
1: they wouldn't like me for that Wow.
0: Well. Yeah, so, and, and I mean, on the spectrum, word for word, thought for thought, I think all of them have a place. So, thought for thought, we're going to put something like the NLT, we're going to put yeah. something like... Um, uh what about Philip's Bible? That's probably more word for word.
1: Yeah, he, that's an old one
0: from the 60s. Yeah, yeah.
1: The First New Testament. Yeah. I never, I never read it. Yeah. My grandmother read it.
0: i um, trying to think of a other word for words. Let me, let me pull my Bible, or thought for thoughts. Pull up the Bible, because I'm blanking even on And
1: what about the CSB, Christian Service Bible? S- Christian
0: Standard. Standard. So that, that is left of center. No pun intended. Um, but it's... Uh, I know,
1: I'm not familiar with it. Just, yeah. yeah, it's
0: it's a very similar translation philosophy to the NIV, but different people. Um, without the critical scholar <laughs> background. Yeah, yeah. So it was an update from the so the home. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, um, the
1: arguments you might have with them are innocent ones, not, yeah, yeah. not disbelieving. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so let's see. Use, you can use the CSB. <laughs>
0: We've got, let's see, the Common English Bible, that's going to be thought for thought. Contemporary English version, that's going to be thought for thought. Um, CSB, left of center, towards word for word, but not fully. ESV, more word for word. Um, Good News Translation, thought for thought. Um, Let's see, what else we got? Legacy Standard Bible, that's a new one. That's MacArthur's new translation. That's going to be more word for, for word. For sure, for sure. Um, the message is not a translation; it's a paraphrase. So many
2: people use. That. Yeah. So what, isn't the
1: NLT more of a paraphrase? It's a
0: thought for thought. Yeah, and and um, some of the translations, like some books, and they have different. Scholars for different right, books. Right. Some of them are really good. Others are not as good. But um, the NLT is a a thought for thought, which I think has its place in in so study.
1: The paraphrase is what one you say.
0: The message. So yeah. that's um, Eugene Peterson, and he um, wanted his kids to understand Scripture, and so he was. Taking, I forget what translation he was using, um, but he was like summarizing, and yeah, then and eventually and did all and the and whole Bible.
1: What the, the one they just put put out the, the Indian version? The uh, I'm not, I don't know Native American standard. Yeah, or something? I've seen so some like that. The Great Spirit in the sky, made uh, okay. the heavens and the earth. Yeah. Uh-uh, sorry. Yeah. You you're you're changing the the. Nature of God and that idea. Sorry. Yeah. Uh,
0: but the message, I see that more as like a commentary than a translation.
1: What's the one that everything is translated? Amplified. Amplified. Yeah.
0: Eh. Yeah. The There's the NET, the New English translation. That's more to the word for word, um, so on and so forth. What about the NASB? That's word for word. And so NASB 95, uh, they just came out with a, a new edition. Um, and I've heard very mixed reviews about this new edition. But the 95, there are times where it's so word for word that it's hard to understand in English. Um, because they'll they'll translate idioms, uh, like in Hebrew, when they want to... Um, Have the ears something like that but like they'll say and walking he walked that's not how we talk right so yeah just things like that but but in in this spectrum i so i i read daily from the esv i preach from the esv um, study from the esv and then use different translations and different translation philosophies for different reasons um, and i would I would not preach or teach from a thought for thought translation. I would use a word for word translation because um want to want to have as clear an understanding of the passage as possible, and that's going to come in the word for word. Um so I highly recommend the ESV. ESV study bible is great. Um I have it. One of the one of the most important things that you can do in um studying scripture is you may make fun of me for this that's fine is read the introduction to your bible so in the first few pages you've got the translation philosophy and you've got all of the um the the different like in some bibles you'll have words that are italicized mean that it's not in the original but it's been added in english so that you can understand it it tells you about all the footnotes it tells you how to Use the glossary, the index, and all of those sort of things. So if you want to study deeply with the Bible that you have, read that introduction. Yeah. Uh, this, the process of observation, we, we're asking question, questions of the text. So what we want to do in observing is answer the five W's. Who, what, when, where, why. So we could expand those to say something like, who is speaking to whom? What are they saying? When are they saying it? Why do they say that they are saying it? What is the context? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, and things you can do to answer these questions include marking key persons, looking at specific words and phrases, making lists, uh, watching for contrasts, for comparisons, uh, noting expressions of time, noting geographic locations, all of these things are going to help us interrogate the text and become more familiar with it uh, so that we have a rich understanding of what the text contains. So, we've got some for instances here. Okay. Before
2: you do for instances, yeah. are you recording
0: this one? Yes.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: missed a lot of them. <laughs> Sorry. I, and I'm trying... I, I don't want to move too fast, but it's also already 7 o'clock. So. Um, Yeah, it really does. So, for instance, um, Glenn, do you want to turn to Philippians 4.4? Okay, hold on. Cheryl, do you want to turn to 1 John 2.2? And I will turn to Isaiah 55.12. And these are just going to be specific things for us to look out for. Examples of um, things to notice in text in the process of observation. So, the first thing from Philippians 4.4, 4, yes. we are to look for repetition.
1: Here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice.
0: So, something is repeated there. Rejoice. So, there's probably some significance to that repetition. Yeah. when we are observing we want to ask the question why is Paul repeating rejoice and then we can answer that question first uh, John 2 2 we can look for theological words
2: mm-hmm. he is the propitiation for the father Jesus or, sorry, my father. he is a propitiation for our sins and not for hours only, but also for the sins
0: of the whole world. So what's a theological word in that <laughs> verse? Mm. <laughs> right. So we come to that word and we say, okay, what is a propitiation? And that is helping us observe from the text. Mm-hmm. Isaiah 55.12 says, For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. We can also look for figures of speech. We know that trees don't actually have hands. So what does it mean that the trees are clapping their hands? Uh, Romans 8.1 Anybody have that memorized? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um. There is therefore now no condemnation. When we come across a therefore, and I say this all the time, and people laugh at me for saying it, but it helps. When you come across a therefore, you have to find out what it's there for. Yeah,
1: you do.
0: And so you have to have the context of Romans 1 to 7, specifically like 5 to 7. to understand what Paul says when he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you come across a therefore, mark it and then say, okay, I need to find out what it's there for. Um, You can also observe literary features. I don't have an example for this, but our pastor in Kentucky was notorious for this. And he was preaching through Genesis and then later Exodus um, and would always, well, I don't want to say always, he would speak often of the literary genius of Moses because he would point out how this passage in Genesis connects to this passage in Genesis and all of these same words are used in the Hebrew, and he would just make all of these connections based on literary features. His favorite literary feature is the chiasm, Um, and everybody would laugh when he would find another chiasm. But anyway, so it's like um, where you have premise, then uh, supporting... Premise, supporting premise, and then it repeats back to the premise. So I think they say like A1, B1, A1. So um, trying to think of the clearest example. Um, uh, let me just. Example. So chiastic structures, a literary literary technique, narrative motifs, and other textual passages. Um, So Exodus 1. Oh, that's a big one. Let me see if I can find a shorter one. So what is this? I'm not sure what passage this is, but it's, it's shorter. So A, maybe I'll just show you what it looks like. So so A says Yahweh establishes the king in verse 1, B he is sent to conquer in verse 2, uh, C the day of power verse 3, the middle is Yahweh makes an unbreakable oath, then it goes to the day of wrath which connects to the day of power which was um C B then he goes out to conquer which connects back to he was sent to conquer and A which says Yahweh establishes the king which was where it all started so it's kind of like building building connecting connecting and getting back to the original premise yeah
1: support uh, uh, premise support support and then repeat the premise yeah basically yeah and and i found that happens a lot where they in the old testament they work in in repetition yeah repetition i can't iteration. Mm-hmm. And then they go back and they have another iteration and give more detail. Yeah.
0: And you, you can see that, for instance, in the creation narrative. Yeah. Because he, Hebrew That's story... That's a big
1: argument that I get in fights with people about because they tell me there's two creation stories. No, there's one. Right. And, and you can point... It's an iter- the second one is an iteration about the first one.
0: Yeah, and that and that's Hebrew storytelling where they they would tell stories beginning, middle, beginning, but with more more depth. And that's Genesis one and one, one and you, two. You
1: probably didn't hear. Um, in Genesis two, right? Mm-hmm. They say, well, that's just a second. Um, creation story, and I say, no, they used iterations. And they say, no, they didn't. I said, oh, yeah? Well, look at chapter 2. Look at verse 8. The Lord planted a garden in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse 15 of chapter 2. Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend to keep it. So, did he make two gardens? Right. Uh, Did he put him in twice? More detail, yeah. There's a fine example of the one... The very one that they say is another story mm-hmm. of creation. Mm-hmm. That's what I fire back at them. Yeah. There's your example, even in the example you try to give. Yeah. Now, I don't think they'd have an answer for that, would they?
0: I don't know. Somebody probably does, but I'd probably not convincing either. Um, other things to keep in mind, the genre that you're reading. So you're going to read history of Genesis differently than you're going to read the prophets of Isaiah, Jeremiah, or um, looking at New Testament epistles versus gospel versus um, prophecy, revelation, and things like that. So you have to understand what the genre that you're reading, uh, and that's just something to do in the observation process. Is there a, a, a contrast or a comparison? So for instance, 2 Corinthians 6.14 which says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Or what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? There is a contrast of righteousness and lawlessness. That's an important thing to take note of. Is there an illustration? I have Philippians 2, 1-11, to um, which the illustration there is um, the Lord Jesus in His emptying Himself uh, and How are we to follow that? We observe that illustration uh, before we can find out what exactly it means. Also, we want to ask, is there a quotation or an allusion to the Old Testament or another passage? So we could look at Acts 2, uh, 16, I think I had. um, 16 to 21, which is um, part of Peter's sermon at Pentecost where he's quoting from Joel and saying, this has been fulfilled today. Um, yeah. And we need to understand the context of Joel so that we can rightly understand Peter in his sermon. Uh, and that is going to be helpful for us to uh, come to conclusions. And in all of this, we're considering the context. So there are three categories for context that we must consider. There's uh, the historical there's the literary, and there's the theological. So when is this taking place in history? Is this Genesis taking place in the time of, of Genesis? Is this um, in the time of the exile? Is it the, in the time of um, the second temple? Is this, um, is this in the time of the days and life of Jesus? Is this new testament is this old covenant is this this that or the other Um, we need to know when it's taking place so that we can understand what it would mean to the original hearers the original audience so that we can better understand it uh, for ourselves we need to understand the literary context and this is related to genre but also um narrowing in a little bit so like you're going to when you're reading the psalms psalms is a particular genre but you'll have anything from lament to poetry to um, prophecy those sort of things so even within a specific genre you have to understand the literary context and structure um, for that particular passage that you're reading and theological uh, has to do with, um, I mean, we read uh, 1 John 2, propitiation, the, the theological context. What is, um, are we looking at the new covenant? Are we looking at how this is going to affect us uh, today as believers? Or are we looking at this in terms of how this would have been understood theologically by the Old Covenant Jews, those sort of things. Um, There are many tools that can help us in this process. Bible studies, commentaries, cross-references. And cross-references are going to be different depending on what Bible or what system you're using. Could be specific words or phrases within the same chapter, book, or other books. Again, you're going to find that out by reading the introduction to your Bible um and that's going to help you better understand what the word means in its specific context because i think i think we did the exercise last time where i asked you to define the word run and i said that i set you up for failure because it's the word in the english language that has the most definitions most possible meanings because words only have meaning in context so if i just say define run you don't know which of the 400, I think I think it's 451 definitions that I'm talking about. But if I say, I went for a run today, then you know the context because of the words that are around that word. Um, and it can only mean a certain, certain set of definitions within that context. Uh, so you have to understand that as you're reading scripture. You look for comparative references. Uh, is this... Explained in more detail in another passage is this a clearer passage than this one? Uh, and go to those passages to help you understand um, because it's going to it's going to help us to understand uh, in a in a deeper manner if we can have those different passages coming in uh, to help us with that um, with specific footnotes. And again, this is going to for, be different for different Bibles. Uh, square brackets mean something different than parentheses, that means something different than quotations, that means something different than italics, those sort of things. Uh, so as you're reading and come across those things in your Bible, uh, you should just take note of, of how it is um, pointed to in other places, cross references and whatnot. Uh, let me see here, Romans 3. There are less direct references, uh, and you just have to kind of keep in mind that each footnote that you're reading isn't the specific context, the specific word. It could be a, the similar idea uh, that is being expressed. It could be a quotation. It could be a cited from. Uh, but you have to look at your individual Bibles to understand that. Um, when it comes to study Bibles, the, the advice I like to give is recognize the line. There's, there's a line somewhere on each page. Above the line, you have God's Word. Below the line, you have man's Word. Yeah. About God's Word. Obviously, if you've purchased this study Bible, you trust whoever it is that compiled it. But at the same time... It's not God's word. Uh, and, and along those same lines, do the work yourself. Don't just jump straight to the resources such as commentaries, the study notes, paraphrases, whatever it might be. Observe on your own first, then get help. Uh, so some, some helpful tips for observation. Observe with a pencil or maybe a pen or laptop, whatever it is that you want to use. Um, and write the things that you're seeing from the text. Maybe you want to print the text out so you can write on it directly, space it out so you have margins and whatnot. Uh, You can observe patterns, comparisons, parallelism, those sort of things. You can then mark linking words, highlight with different colors. You could write off to the side and summarize. Um, and, And those sort of things. You could write out the connections that you see to other passages, allusions, um, any terms of conclusion thus or for this reason, and write the significance that they might have. And then write down questions that you have from the text. They could be questions of fact, such as, where was Susa? Questions of speculation. I wonder why Ruth and her family decided to leave Israel. We try the best to, to answer those questions you may not be able to answer them though, we may not know and may not be able to discern from Scripture why Ruth and her family decided to leave Israel. Maybe not a great example, but um, write those questions down, uh, and and then even to take it take it a step further. One of the best tools that we have for observation is memorization. Is that you put the passage in your head, and you'll probably notice things throughout the day as you call it to mind in meditation so then there's a lot of information and i was planning to get through um interpretation and application tonight too but i I don't think we're going to because i want to practice observation i don't want to just give you all of this information and then say all right now go figure it out for yourself um so we can, we can walk through this process together. And I think, I think I want to set a timer. I want to set a five-minute timer. Uh, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And look at verses 1 through 5. And we're going to make observations. Um, I wrote some of my observations down. Uh, you can do the same with your observations here tonight, um, but we could do this. We could do this out loud or quietly. I don't know. What do you? What it seems
1: do you? Maybe a few minutes, to Okay. Johnson notes because she's got paper and I've got paper. Okay. So what were we trying to do again?
0: First Corinthians two one to five observations from the text, questions you might have, connections. Um, Yeah, basically all the stuff that I just ran through. Uh, So I'll give you you three minutes, and then we can come back together and uh, talk about some of them some more. So three minutes starting now. All right, so let's take another like two minutes and share some of our observations um, and save these because next time I'm going to go from observation to interpretation. So, then, what are some things that you observed from this text? There's a lot of repetition. Okay, such so as?
2: Um, he used the, um, testimony of God, the power of God, yeah. um, what do I, to do? I underline the spirit and the power for some reason, mm-hmm. wisdom, is also in there, mm-hmm. with you, among you,
0: okay, So, a lot of important repetition.
2: My speech and my message was up at the top, he said, to know nothing among
0: you. Mm. Yeah. So, there's maybe even a a contrast that exists there.
1: Not with fancy speech, but maybe he could have if he wanted to, because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: In other words, he probably could have gotten into some pretty deep theological talking. Probably knew that an Old Testament like the back of his hand. Yep. Probably very good in the Hebrew.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But he chose not to.
0: Yeah.
1: He chose not to show off. Yeah. Go ahead, Cheryl. Um,
2: how about... I wasn't sure with this, Um, not implausible words of wisdom, and up at the top he had said I decided to know nothing. Mm. See, I always question myself.
0: Yeah. Well, so so that, and I think that's a good observation. So, it seems like in verse 2, he is committing himself to something that he can't actually do, right? So, we would have to ask the question of verse 2, is he using maybe some sort of figure of speech, maybe like hyperbole, to show that the message of the gospel, specifically the message of Christ crucified, is so important that... He's, he's taking it to, uh, like, a, a hyperbolic extreme. Um, I think, let me see if I can find my observation I made on that. Um. Verse 2 uses hyperbole. So I asked the question, does Paul really know nothing except Jesus and him crucified? Mm -hmm. Well, no. But what does he mean by this? And that is more in the next step. But the observation, I think, is that the message of Christ crucified is the central salvific event. So Paul puts primary emphasis on it, and then we could even compare that with First Corinthians 15. So I delivered to you of first importance. Yeah. And so I think I think he's using this this figure of speech, this hyperbole, to say this is what matters. And so even then when you come down to the plausible words of wisdom Um, there's there's connection there to things he writes elsewhere Um, which the observation I was making from this um, he's contrasting something and so we ask the question what is the contrast it's the Lofty speech versus what he did, which was not lofty speech. So mem- then, maybe we would have to ask a question: Well, who who was using lofty speech? And I I think that he could be referring to the super apostles of Second Corinthians eleven five. Which then we have to to ask: Okay, so Paul's writing in First Corinthians. Referencing something in 2nd Corinthians, we have to know more about a few things. The dates of both 1st Corinthians and 2nd Corinthians no. and how the New Testament is organized. So 1st Corinthians is written in 53-54-ish, 2nd Corinthians in 55-56. So we're reading... I think I might have reversed those actually. 1 Corinthians was written after 2 Corinthians, so I reversed those. Um, 1 Corinthians was written in 55-56. 2 Corinthians was 53-54. Mm-hmm. So we're out of
1: order.
0: So it's not chronological. But we have to we have to think about the date a little bit more. No matter where you are in the book, It's helpful to know when it's written, because this allows you to understand better the reason for which the book was written. But from there, once we know that um, 1 Corinthians was written after 2 Corinthians, we have to say, well, why is it 1 Corinthians then? Mm -hmm. It's because of how the New Testament is organized. We've got the Gospels, then the Epistles, Paul, then General, and then Revelation, The epistles are organized from longest to shortest, not chronologically. So that's how it could make sense.
1: And that's what a lot of them say. Yeah. it's longest to shortest.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that was done in like, I don't remember when it was, because I guess they would have had it in that order in like Reformation era. But they decided to put them from longest to shortest.
1: Wasn't a good idea. Yeah.
0: Probably not. No. <laughs> no. 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 Well, you you can organize it however you want. <laughs> but that's that's how I can say it's probably that Paul is referring in 1 Corinthians to someone that he's talking about in 2 Corinthians, the super apostles who are coming onto the scene and, and are giving all of their qualifications and they're using all of this lofty speech and, and whatnot. Uh, the specific reference is second corinthians eleven five which um, says indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge so so he's using similar similar language
1: even yeah, then my question would be are these apostles just Ones that stepped up and thought they could stick their nose in it and, mm-hmm. and do a better job, or I mean, in other words, were these just um, I don't know what the word would be, hacked preachers? Uh,
0: yeah, I think he's using the the phrase "super apostles" kind of like in, to make fun of them. Yeah, in, yeah. in a
1: derogatory yeah, manner. a pejorative. Because yeah. he did speak too that others preach. Christ out of envy some Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. money yeah Philippians And and maybe some of them were um better entertainers
0: right
2: we
1: have that today look I mean you know you look at some of the tv preachers yeah I mean they put on a good show yeah they tell you what you want to hear right you can be a better you yep I mean you know the you could call
0: them hack preachers, I guess. Mm-hmm. Hacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think, I think Paul's probably referring to them.
1: Because apostle just means messenger, right? It, it doesn't, Cheryl.
0: You know. Yeah. So that, and Cheryl, that's a great observation. Because what, like, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And I think he's, he's contrasting again there with those super apostles who are trying to use fancy speech to as like a smokescreen instead, um, instead of what Paul is doing, where he's saying it's a demonstration of spirit and of power. Yeah. And, and verse 5 then becomes the purpose statement. Why is he doing all of this? So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, he's, he's saying of those those super apostles or any who would come with this lofty speech and, yeah, like, and like man's Marjo wisdom. Used
1: to. who Marjo look that up.
0: Uh, I don't know that.
1: He was some little kid that his parents were horrible people, and he wanted him to learn how to be a TV preacher, a neo-evangelist uh-huh. And he didn't want to do it, so they used to halfway drown him in the bathtub until he agreed to do it. And hmm. he became an excellent one. He could get money out of people. Well, I've, I've seen old shots of this guy doing it. He'd handle a microphone. He was Mr. Energetic, and he could get people to open their wallets. Yeah. He had people rolling in the aisles.
0: Yeah.
1: He had so many women laying on the ground,
0: mm-hmm.
1: slain in the spirit, going mm-hmm. into convulsions, that they used to have to throw cloths over the legs so their dresses would ride up hmm. uh, the, the Mar- m-a-r-j-o-e
0: okay interesting
1: what a guy phony to the he admitted it yeah later on he became he wanted a christian but he just like paul said they know they're wrong right yeah yeah he knew he was wrong getting old ladies to give away their yeah. money and he let the um people or the news people uh, record one of his, they did it secretly, mm-hmm. record one of his sermons. And I'm telling you, the guy is outrageous. Mm-hmm. And then he became an actor and, and he right. was some big atheist.
0: So that's, that's lofty speech in man's wisdom. Yes, it was. What, what Paul is contrasting with. And so he's saying in verse 5, I don't want that to happen. And so what I am going to preach is Christ crucified, which is foolishness to man, but it is the power of God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 3 and 4 give further explanation of the contrast of His weakness, but then God's power. Like I said, 5 is the purpose statement. Um. I also just asked the question: Who is the I here? It's Paul, obviously. Where did he go? Corinth. Um, just to to have some simple observations, um, and and even I mean we're in we're in chapter two of this book, so there's not a lot that comes beforehand, but it would be helpful to understand two one to five to read chapter one. Yes. Because he's he you know, he's starting and I when I came to you, brothers. It's connective. Yeah, so there's there's the connection there that we have to say, okay, what is he connecting to? What is he trying to, to articulate in that connection? Why does it matter? And
1: Oh there it is. He who glories let him glory in the Lord. That's why. Yeah. Bingo.
0: So he's trying to drive home that point by contrasting Bingo. with these uh, again, we could probably just use the f- term super apostles but but anyone who would try to dress up the gospel in, in yeah in lofty speech yeah. or man's wisdom things that are going to fade away yep. and, and paul knows Paul knows that god's wisdom God's power is not going to fade
1: mm-hmm. then this other question I had he said um but in the power of God, mm-hmm. um, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. What did he mean by that? Was he is he referring to his ability at times to have miracles or his behavior? You see what I'm getting at. Yeah, what do you yeah. mean by that? How how did he show it? I, by power and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Now, is this healing people? Is this him getting bit by a viper when it comes out of the mm-hmm. fire and he shakes it off and right. stands there and says, okay, don't mm-hmm. worry about it. Mm-hmm. I'll bleed a little bit. Yeah. Don't worry. Uh, is it that or is it some other? And and either way, then I would say, if you don't mind me saying, then we have to, no, fine, now find out what do we do?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I don't know the answer to your question. The way that I was reading that was to say that the demonstration of the Spirit and of power is the salvation and sanctification of the Corinthians. But, I, yeah, I don't know. And my
1: speech is... He's, well, you've got my... And my speech and my preaching, not through his words human wisdom, but as demonstrations... Does that mean... Okay, fine. All right, we're gonna say it's them being saved. Mm-hmm. Does that mean when they're saved that they, that them speaking in tongues and prophesying, and when they became Christians, is that what we're saying? I don't know. See, we you have to define that. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about.
0: There are a lot of questions that we how, need to ask. How yeah. would I relate
1: to this? Because right. I'm not willing to say, and I don't believe we have apostles in the sense right. of miracle workers today. I'm a cessationist. Mm-hmm. You should be, too. <laughs> not, I'm not,
0: I'm not going to tell you if argument. I am or not. <laughs> We're going
1: to have some arguments.
0: Okay? Okay, we'll have some arguments. <laughs> to be honest with you, but... At the same time, with that, we didn't get to that stuff yet. No, but it begs the fight. question.
1: I just couldn't keep my mouth shut.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not
1: surprised.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, just, I just couldn't keep... I mean, it's there, it's like...
1: Okay, fine. Now, how do you demonstrate it? If you go to a people or you go to a church, how do you demonstrate that yours is not wisdom of words? And when we talk, or if I talk about something like theological Mm non-cognitism, and and, and I explain it, am I just trying to show my knowledge? Mm -hmm. Or do I show genuineness in another way. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. Right. Now I agree. I've jumped ahead, but it's
0: just too And we'll we'll get there. I so I think the connection that I would make, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men. So I if it is that um Paul's method of preaching Relies not on his lofty speech, but on the wisdom of God, the power of God, uh, the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Uh, if it is the salvation I'd like and sanctification, you
1: know what, that word demonstration. I'd like yeah. to look that up. If it
0: is, if it is the the salvation and sanctification,
1: because it might have a synonym that means something a little different. I
0: don't know. You can look that up for next time. Yeah. But that. I'm but so then. Bad. But it would be. I, I would say that the demonstration is the exercising of faith by the people who are hearing this message.
1: I don't know. I, I still think you got my speech, my preaching.
0: Sure. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I I didn't I didn't dive super deep.
1: That and the fact that you said I, brother, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech. Yeah. I would say I think what Paul's doing here is giving himself as an example. Could be. All right. In other words, you know, this is what I want, and I'm giving you an example, and this is what you should do. And he said that and other things. He said, uh, "What he said that you follow me, and I follow Christ." That's somewhere in the epistles.
0: Mm-hmm. It's First Corinthians. See,
2: and then again, gee, the I understand it better. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive, impressive wisdom. To tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ. The one who was crucified.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mm-hmm. he, yeah, the, the primary thing that he wants them to know and understand is the importance of the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alright, well... We're technically out of time. (laughs)
2: We've
1: been out of time since I've been... Twelve minutes ago.
0: (laughs) Now. So keep those observations. And feel free, I mean, observe more. Uh, What I would like for us to do next time is to move into interpretation Mm -hmm. and even get to application so that we can...
1: So that's what you Keep going. Yeah, so
0: observe more from this passage. And interpret. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, if I I want to talk about interpretation and application. If you want to move forward in the process, feel free. Um, but oh, that's inter- that's what we'll that's we, what we'll focus interpretation
1: on. Interpretation and application.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, which this was basically going to be your homework anyway, which was to find another passage, another text, and to do it on your own over the next month. Um, Might as well do this one. Yeah. And so we will come back. And if there are, if, I mean, if new people show up, um, we can briefly step back into observation so that they're aware. But we can also just. Tell um,
1: them to look at, on the line and, and, and get the class that
0: way. There we go. Um, and, and. If they
1: want it, they'll do it.
0: Yeah. And if I think of anything else, I'll email you.
1: Interpretation and application next week. So, you want us to come up with our own on that, or and then read next week what we thought.
0: First, First Corinthians two, one to five. Um, do do some more observations. If you would like to do some interpretation and application, feel free. But
1: the, the interpretation is real important.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we'll and we'll more specifically define interpretation and application next time. Um,
1: but I'm, I'm, I'll see if I can come up with some more, but those three that I came up with mm-hmm. I think are pretty solid. I mean,
0: yeah. One of one of the um one of my assignments when I was in seminary, I think it was my hermeneutics class, um we, we were given a passage and we were told to make fifty observations or something. Oh yeah. And We came back the next week, and he said, all right, I expect 50 more for next week. Oh. And...
1: How long on the passage?
0: I don't know. Five, ten verses, something like that.
1: And did you guys come up? You come up with 100?
0: Yeah. But then he said, next week, all right, I want more. Next week, I want more. It wasn't always 50, but we had to continue making observations Um, and it was surprising the longer you think about it the more you can observe the more questions you can ask and those sort of things which was a fun exercise but now that I've told you about it I can't say for you to do it because you'll be expecting oh he's going to say 50 more (laughs) for next time but just know that you the more time you spend with the text, and that's I think that's what Piper means when he says, "Just stare at it." Right. That's what he means. uh, you become so familiar with it and even have more and more questions and whatnot, but it's just an interesting experiment um to see how many observations you can make
1: hmm. okay
0: but that's where we'll end. Thanks for coming. I will pray, and we can go home or wherever we're going. Mm -hmm. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you that um, your law is perfect, that it revives our souls, that it is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, that um, it is uh, given for our training in righteousness, for our correction, for rebuke. And we just pray and ask God that you would help us uh, to live uh, in its counsel, to live in your counsel and Um, to be faithful uh, with the word that you have given to us, uh, to know it, to know you, to live according to it, uh, and eventually uh, to be able to teach it to others. Uh, We're thankful and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.